Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne the first 1,000 days have been said to be crucial in the language constructs that are put into place for children. And the truth is that beyond those first 1,000 days may be just as equally important. Today we will hear from Martha Sud and Mario Palma about the added value of investment in language development. If you put your money under your mattress, you will always get what you put in. But if you invest that money, then the potential for more is possible. Martha Sud, originally from Caracas, Venezuela, is the founder and the director of the Don Bosque Early Childhood Bilingual Program, which instructs immigrant parents and their at-risk children with evidence-based strategies for the development of English language learning and the enhancement of cognitive skills, including social-emotional learning. Today, she talks with Suzanne Lasser about parents being the number one tool and depositing golden nuggets into the brain development of their babies that will carry the children a long way. Let's listen in. Martha, I want to thank you for joining us today and giving our audience a chance to listen in to some of the expertise that you have. And um, to get us started, I'm going to ask you a little bit about early childhood. And so we know that early childhood development is directly correlated to the future success of students. So can you talk with us about this idea of the first thousand days and especially beyond those first thousand days? Um, thank you, Suzanne, again, for having me and for really touching a cornerstone that often doesn't get discussed on uh, what we as educators, parents could be doing a little bit more purposefully and deliberately from the onset of birth and extending to the thousand days and beyond. The first, we're trying to set up a foundation to enhance the potential of the learner in acquiring language, language whether it's language one, the the home language or the target language in the early years. And by doing that, we are really setting up the brain to be wired differently and creating an opportunity for more synapses, more activities and interconnections. And that we know we have a prime narrow time. We know from the research, from the critical age hypothesis by Cummings and other researchers they have said there's an optimal age, right? So it's before age 10 or that prepubescent age. So when we know even from the most recent research that those early years when the, when the child's hearing the utterance from the mother as they're breast, being breastfed or change, that that starts to create a connection between the mother and the child and that they associate that language, that codified language as an immediate connection to that parent that translates later into a greater ability to shift to problem solve and to do more complicated task-based learning 
in a way, the mother is depositing golden nuggets into the child's brain bank. And there are opportunities that, you know, we are not are necessarily exploiting as, as parents and educators, um, whether it's in a Head Start program or a baby box lunch program through one of the open door clinics. We could be teaching the parents a little bit more purposefully on how to exploit that language connection in order to enhance brain development. So Marta, I know that you grew up in a Hispanic household, but share with us a little bit about what your home was like, specifically in terms of language. There was French and English, so there was a very transparent understanding of direct sound-to-letter correspondence, but there was also a very interesting, the opaqueness, something that was orthographically opaque and didn't have the correspondence. So as a child, for me, that was an interesting opportunity to decode something that wasn't so direct. That sparked in my home um, a lot of curiosity for languages and for other cultures. So my parents dropped little seeds of, I believe that we as parents and educators that uh, can begin to socially expose the children, the baby into syllables, rhyme, music, read alouds. You can start reading to your child as early as from the belly, right outside your breastfeeding, and you put that book, and you're training the ear to make those connections to a very syllabic structure of syntax. And the child will then easily transition into a different language structure. Martha, I'm curious for you to share a bit about why you see this need for advocacy in terms of language development when thinking about your students and the families you work with? You know, you have to try to debunk some of the myths that are out there. Some, some parents that have the best intent, I don't want my child to get confused. And so they decide that they want the target language at home only at the huge expense of the yes. extension. And we see that a lot in uh, populations that uh, are at the poverty level or, and are at risk. So we try to really work hard with advocacy and giving the parent an, an understanding of what is, what is it at stake? What, what can they provide to their child that is optimal, even in these very early months and early years? So I think some of it is also counterintuitive. The idea that the more you speak to your child in your dominant language and model for them proper grammatical structures, rich vocabulary, that that is going to actually help them be more successful in the second and third language. So let's talk a little bit about your early childhood center. It is a successful instructional model. And what are some of the components you consider to be integral in its success? And what do you also define or how do you quantify the success for your young bilingual students? Thank you, Suzanne. Our number one tool in the Don Bosco Early Childhood Bilingual Program is really the parent. They're the agent, they are the driver of the learning processes through language acquisition and development. You spoke before about how the parent can take advantage of the situation. And because we are predominantly serving an immigrant population at Don Bosco, we have to really help the families put on a more active agent lens and explain to them that 
they cannot be hyper-reliant on the educational system or any system, that it's really up to them to start enhancing learning and creating learning opportunities irrespective of their socioeconomic background. And so at Don Bosco, at the Early Childhood Program, we create parent awareness of what they need to be doing more purposefully and how to do it specifically for bilingual education and that commitment that it takes to get from social discourse to academic discourse, which is quite a long journey, as you know. So we have the, we create parent awareness and education. And as I had mentioned with you a few before, we debunk a lot of the myths and we really teach them what those key benefits are socially, professionally, that they could be making up to 20% more as, as a career, that we are in a flat world where bilingualism, multilingualism is in the American context in our landscape, it's a huge advantage. In Europe, might not be as, as advantageous and it's expected, but here it could be a game changer to take a child from a median salary to above median, one or two standard deviations, depending. So we bring in practitioners, professionals from different sectors to the parents at Don Bosco. And we say, this is a bilingual psychologist. If the psychologist was monolingual, he or she or they would be making this. Now they're making this. Or we'll bring in an engineer. We'll bring in people from different spaces. So as we educate the parent um, at the Don Bosco in tandem, we bring the young children into, this was pre-COVID, into a classroom setting. All the materials are bilingual. We bring in the textbooks, the games, the literacy activities in both languages, and we provide the resources that are scarce in Portchester, where we are, directly to the hands of the parents. That's amazing that you're able to provide all those resources, like you said, in tandem to students, but also to parents as a way to empower. So tell me some more. We know that the um, English language learners, specifically the Hispanic, Spanish-speaking young students are one to two standard deviations below the mean in vocabulary. Vocabulary is a predictor of reading comprehension. Front load the content, front load the vocabulary, front load the subject. So if they're learning about water, we try to pull books from wherever we can and we provide them the week before the parents are expected to read to the child if the parent doesn't have a literacy level that is optimal for reading and engaging we tell them just invent it use the visual you have language and you have schema make it up and we model it for them and it's really hard for some of the parents who have never had to do read alouds but think about how empowering that is, right? Because if they're not confident themselves as readers, but now you're telling them, you know about water, you have the vocabulary, look at the picture and create it yourself. Instead of making them feel that they're not able to help, you are really shifting that. As I'm hearing you talk about all that your program has to offer, it makes me think of the three things that we hear are so important, rigor, relevance, and relationships. Hmm. And so I hear examples of all of those 
I know that the families and their children are going to reap the benefits of all of the work that you and your team are putting in. I want to thank you, Marta, for, for joining us today. Bueno, Susan, muchísimas gracias. Thank you for having me. I trust to have the pleasure of, of reconnecting and having you come and visit us at Don Bosco. Social activist and author Mario Palma is a Cuban-Puerto Rican Bronx native. He identifies as a simultaneous bilingual who sees every day as another opportunity to discover more treasures about his Afro-Latino ancestral lineage. He currently works as the Vice President of Multilingual Teaching and Learning for the American Reading Company, supporting bilingual education across the country. He operates from the belief that multilingual learners are this country's most untapped natural resource. Here is a portion of Suzanne's interview with Mario as he shares social justice stances and his latest book project. So Mario, I want to thank you for agreeing to speak with me and our listeners. So one of the things that's super important to us is that uh, we provide any books that we write uh, within ARC Press, so that's American Reading Company Press, it's our publication company or uh, department, I would say. And ARC Press was created to respond to the gaps that we saw in the book market. I think uh, the cornerstone of our approach to education is making sure that the right books get in the right in the hands of students. And so uh, part of our work is analyzing who's publishing what. You know, we realize that a lot of black and brown stories, if they are being told, are often told by white authors, which is something I had no idea about. So it's the truth. So we get all these books, we get the best in show, and we try to find out, you know, what type of genre and whose stories being told and which voices are being silenced and what perspectives are not being included and who the authors are. It's this, you know, it's this delicate balance of perspective. And so part of analyzing what's in the market is also realizing what's not. And so we created our press to start filling in what was missing. And lately, more so than ever, uh, we're trying to tell stories from a more culturally uh, and linguistically responsive uh, lens. We have tons of books in English and Spanish. We would never write a book in English without transcreating it in Spanish or vice versa. So this book that I wrote was actually written in Spanish first, and we just finished transcreating it in English. Yay! I know, right? It's like, yeah! <laughs> I get the question a lot of like, well, what is transcreation? And that sounds different. Is that different from translation? So what, what we realize is that a lot of publishing companies, well-meaning, they will take a book that they've written in English and translate it into Spanish and assume the, the reading level is the same. And it's actually not. I mean, you have to control for reading level. So transcreation is our way to not just translate responsibly and authentically, but also control the reading level. So that way we can determine which library, which reading level it's most appropriate to align, you know, to align with what we call our reading goals, our power goals. So it was transcreated into English. So now you'll be able to find it digitally uh, in our English and Spanish uh, library. If it wasn't going to be written in Spanish, I wasn't going to do it. Like that was the whole point. You can't talk about Roberto Clemente and write a book only in English. Would... Sacrilegious, huh? Couldn't do it. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think about uh, all the opportunities I have to normalize bilingual education, bilingualism, the fact that, uh, that the U.S. is trailing, right? Most people in the world are bilingual. Okay. And 
you know, the, most people in the world are multilingual and we're fighting for a second language, right? Let alone a third or a fourth. So, you know, Kathy Escamilla, who I love dearly, talks a lot about that, that, you know, a lot of people in the United States, forget about speaking a second language, don't even have a passport. I mean, it's not normal to travel beyond, uh, you know, the four walls of our country or whatever, because we're so like ethnocentric and like in our bubble, essentially. And so we've kind of become accustomed to whiteness and monolingualism as a norm. So anytime we can push back on that narrative and say, there are so many benefits to being bilingual, multi, multilingual, you know, everyone deserves to be in that, to have that type of um, education. Unfortunately, most multilingual uh, kids who come from multilingual families are, they're in ESL, but the majority actually are in ESL programs. And so even though we've seen this proliferation of bilingual ed over the past 10, 20 years, there's still so much uh, room for, uh, you know, for more bilingual programs to be, uh, to be provided. Celebrate that. Actually, um, you made me think about, you mentioned Dr. Medina earlier, and recently one of his posts said, how can we make such a big deal about students who learn to speak Spanish or Mandarin as their second language? Which that's so amazing. You're so wonderful. But then the native speaker who uses that language and has learned English, we don't celebrate him or her. It's kind of just like, oh, that's the expectation. And that really made me pause to think because I know that I've been guilty of that before, right? Saying, wow, look at this child, look at what they've done, but not honoring or celebrating the reverse, which actually may have been harder uh, because of the, the lack of additional support, perhaps in the home or in the school system for that. I mean, you think about where we are right now as a country, I don't think anyone can argue with the fact that the more languages you speak, the more cultures that you are afforded uh, to learn about, the more conversations you can tolerate with someone who thinks differently than you can. And I think that um, that's a true test, the true test of what I think, you know, is probably the biggest social experiment of all time. You know, this, this democracy that we have, the true test of a democracy is being able to listen to someone who doesn't agree with you. That's really hard to do, but is absolutely necessary to keep a healthy democracy intact. So the more, uh, the more exposure to different opinions and those who actually challenge where your perspective comes from, that's, actually, that's how you keep the country healthy. That's how you keep democracy healthy. So I think we could use this now more than ever. I agree. Thank you. I'm sure we know that you are going to contribute to this work um, at an early age. So I, I thank you for shifting the, the paradigm Although it may be slow steps, they still, there still is movement on the needle and the children and the teachers that will use those resources are going to be the ones to benefit now and in the future. So thank you for that work. Absolutely. Now, the book will be available on AmericanReadingAtHome.com. And when you go there, you get six downloads for free in English, six free in Spanish. And then you can add the coupon 20-ebooks for an additional 20 books. I think that's like 32 books. It'll be accessible. So I really want to thank you for inviting me. And thank you so much for this platform. Thank you. Let us shift from this idea of just saving language to raising language. In 2021, let us focus in on language development as an expected component of our daily social constructs in the same way that a balanced diet and affirmations in yoga have become. That a diverse America strengthens us 
and a multilingual America opens doors, creates opportunities, embraces humanity. I'm Yarina Sancion, signing off. Until next time, continue to speak your beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.